Well, amen. It is great to be here in the house of the Lord. Are you glad to be here? Say amen. 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 My name is Steve Freeman. I am the uh, staff evangelist here at the Heights. If you don't know what a staff evangelist is, it is a preacher without a job. Amen. That really uh, is the truth. Uh, I I travel, actually, I travel all all around the country and sometimes in other parts of the world uh, preaching the gospel, preaching in revival meetings and all kinds of things like that. And and this is how, uh, and this is how you know uh, that you're short. Uh, when you bring your own pulpit everywhere you go, and that pretty much is what I've done today. And uh, I, I tell you, believe it or not, I have been short all of my life. I know that comes as a shock to you. Amen. I, but but I, I tell you, I, I have a lot of fun with it. And uh, and I remember uh, not long ago, uh, I, I was in Charlotte, in the Charlotte airport, and, and I was uh, getting off of a plane, and I was going into the terminal because I'm getting ready to connect with another flight. And, and as I'm in the terminal, I'm waiting. I sit down at the end seat of a row of chairs. I'm not really paying a lot of attention where I'm seated. And, uh, and there's a lady sitting beside me, and, and she looked at me, and she gave me the hello nod. And I said, well, Hey, how you doing? And uh, and she said fine. And and as I was looking at her, I noticed that she was a little person. Now that is the politically correct term uh, to use these days. She's a little person. And then I noticed sitting beside her, and for about the next twenty seats, all down in one big row, it was full of little people. And here I am sitting on the end seat of a row of little people. And then this lady, she looks at me and she says, Are you here for the convention? <laughs> and I said, I said, I don't think so. Uh, what convention are you talking about? And she said, Well, the convention of the little people of America. <laughs> and I said, Well, I am not. I said, I didn't even know such a group existed. And then she, and I told her, I said, well, I'm actually a preacher. I'm an evangelist. I travel around the country, you know, preaching. And she said, well, you got to meet somebody. And she brings over this guy uh, to meet me. And, and, uh, and and I got to tell you, she introduced me to him and he is the president of the little people of America. And I got to tell you something in that moment, standing next to him, I felt like a giant. I want to tell you, I felt huge. I towered over this guy, and, uh, and, and I don't know what the height requirement is uh, to be a part of the little people of America. I, I'm thinking maybe I should get in. I'd be king of that group. I really believe that. But, but I am thankful. It's exciting to be here uh, with you this morning. I want to welcome those of you who are streaming live right now on the internet. Thank you for joining us as well here at the Heights. And I uh, appreciate Pastor Randy inviting me to come and to share with you uh, this day. You know, as a parent, one of the things that um, my wife Lisa and I, one of the things that we try to instill in our children is the idea of good manners. Now, now you know what? This, this can be demonstrated by simple things, you know, like saying yes, sir, and no, sir, yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. You, you know, another way to demonstrate this would be by simply a, a, a courtesy, you know, of saying please and, and thank you. Now, notice how different this sounds in the ears of my children if I say to them, if I say to my son Kevin, if I say, Kevin, would you fix me a Coke? Or to my daughter Berkeley, I'd say, Berkeley, would you make me a sandwich? Now, I use these examples not as abstract experiences with no basis in reality, but actually things that I've said to my kids on more than one occasion. But notice if I say it this way. If I say, Kevin, would you please 
uh, fix me a Coke. Or Berkeley, would you please make me a sandwich? Can I tell you something? The word please there makes a lot of difference, doesn't it? And it makes my children a lot more willing, ready, and eager uh, to do whatever it is I've asked them to do. And so even now, if I ask them to do something and I forget to say the word please, they are quick uh, to remind me. Well, well, you know what? Maybe for you, maybe uh, you don't have a problem with that. Maybe you don't usually forget to say the word please. But, but can I tell you, there are probably two other words that you and I don't say enough. And, and these words, if we'd say more often these words, or should I say the attitude that these words convey, it would actually make a huge difference in our lives. And the words are simply, thank you. Thank you. Now, i got to tell you, as a parent, uh, one of the things I love, I love when I see my kids demonstrating genuine thankfulness. When I know that they are truly thankful, truly grateful uh, for what they have or what they've been given or an opportunity that has been afforded to them. Now, I wonder this morning, how much more do you think God delights in the gratitude of his children. And you know what? As you begin to thumb through the pages of Scripture, what you begin to notice is that God actually has a whole lot to say about being thankful. So as we get started this morning, I just want to look at a few places in God's Word where he has clearly uh, spoken to this. First Chronicles 16, 34 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love, uh, his, fa- his faithful love endures forever. Psalm 107 verse 8 says this, Let them give thanks to the Lord for His faithful love and His wonderful works for all humanity. Psalm 107 verse 15 says, Let them give thanks to the Lord for His faithful love and His wonderful works for all humanity. Psalm 107 verse 21 says, Let them give thanks to the Lord for His faithful love and His wonderful works for all humanity. And then down in verse 31, guess what it says? It says, let them give thanks to the Lord for His faithful love and His wonderful works for all humanity. Boy, I'm beginning to wonder if this is pretty important to God. Boy, as you get into the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8 says, the Apostle Paul writes that coarse and foolish talking are not suitable, but rather uh, giving thanks. And then in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 and 20, verse 18 tells us to be filled with the Spirit. Verse 20 tells us what that looks like by giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in that great verse from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Verse 18, the Apostle Paul again writes this. He says, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, before we go any further, please understand this. Just saying the word thanks or thank you, you know what? That may not necessarily do anything to convey what you and I are truly feeling in the moment. I mean, sometimes, don't we just say it out of habit Maybe out of a sense of duty. Maybe out of a sense of obligation. For example, uh, you go to the restaurant and the waitress says, uh, Can I get you a menu? Yeah, thanks. Uh, can I take your order? Sure, thank you. Uh, would you like more coffee? Yeah, thanks. Thanks. I, I mean, sometimes we, we say it, we don't necessarily mean it. I'm, I wondered this morning, how many of you have ever had the uh, exciting experience in your life of getting a traffic ticket, a speeding ticket of any kind? Anybody ever got one of those? I've gotten one of those before. And do you know, getting a speeding ticket... I have heard myself look at that officer as he's writing me a ticket and handing it to me and going, thank you so much, thank you officer for this ticket. I mean, you know what? I didn't really mean that. Amen. 
I didn't really mean it. I, I guess I was just being polite. I don't know. But, but, but sometimes we say it, but boy, we, we, we don't uh, really mean it. And the truth is, you may be here this morning and you're saying, well, preacher, you, you know what? Of all the things going on in the world right now, of all the things going on in my life right now, of all the things that I'm having to deal with, with my family, with my kids, with my job, with my finances, hey, even with my health, I don't know if you know this or not, preacher, but there's a lot of things going on in my life right now that I am not particularly thrilled about that I'm not jumping up and down for joy for I mean maybe for some people you know maybe everything in their life is great maybe it's always wonderful maybe they don't have any problems but preacher that is not where I am now now, you know what believe it or not being thankful not only eludes us when times are tough when times are difficult can I tell you sometimes in fact many times we are not even thankful when times are Good. Do you doubt me on this? I want you to take your Bibles this morning and I want you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. And I want you to turn with me to the 17th chapter of Luke's Gospel. And we want to read an account here uh, beginning in verse 11 and going on down to verse 19. But beginning in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, uh, beginning in verse 11, follow along with me in your copy uh, of God's Word. It says, While traveling to Jerusalem... He, talking about Jesus, he passed between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, ten men with serious skin diseases met him. Now, most of your translations uh, say leprosy. And so ten lepers, uh, they met him. And they stood at a distance. And folks, understand, if you were a leper living in that region, uh, let me tell you, if you weren't a leper, by the way, uh, you would want those lepers to stand at a distance. I mean, that makes some sense, doesn't it? I mean, that would, that would, that would make uh, some sense. You would want them to stand at a distance because you see in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the word leper or leprosy, it actually embodied a wide variety of skin conditions and ailments. I mean, uh, it, it would show up on the skin of an individual, and uh, it might start in one part of the body, but it would spread to other uh, parts of the body. And so it is a serious skin condition that was very visible, and I am told, I am told that one of the, one of the negatives, one of the real hard things uh, about leprosy is that it, it affects the nerves and the nervous system and and it would make it would make a lot of numbness uh, set in on the skin of an individual so parts of his body would become numb and and he could he could scrape himself he could hurt himself he could have injuries and not even fully be aware of it but as most of you understand any kind of disease like that you you know where where things like that are going on it is very you you know what it is very uh, debilitating and and notice what happens here uh, in verse 13, that these 10 lepers, uh, they raise their voices and, 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 and they say this, they say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And, and when he saw them, uh, he told them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priests. And while they were going, they were healed. But one of them, seeing that he was healed, he returned and with a loud voice gave glory to God. And he fell face down at his feet. At whose feet? At the feet of of Jesus. He fell face down at his at, at the feet of Jesus, thanking him, and he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus said, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? 
And, and he, told them, he told him, he said, get up and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now, now talk about a reason to be thankful. I, I mean, think about all that this man and all of these lepers had to be thankful about. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us The Bible doesn't tell us how long they had been dealing with this condition. The Bible doesn't tell us how long they had each had a leprosy. I imagine it probably had been for quite some time. It had certainly been long enough for all ten of these men who had been uh, ostracized by their family, uh, by their uh, friends, by their employers, and virtually all of society. They're living as outcasts. Uh, it, It had been long enough for all ten of these men Uh, to find each other. Now, that could have been quite a challenge. But then on the other hand, maybe not. Maybe it wasn't that hard to find each other. I mean, I would imagine if you had leprosy and you're living somewhere uh, that other people, they're going to pick up on that. They're going to realize that. And you know what? You're going to be pretty popular, but not in a good way. You're going to be pretty popular. You're going to be pretty well known. I mean, can't you just hear the whispers? Somebody goes, hey, watch out for that guy. Man, he's been cursed by God. Watch out for that guy. He's got a serious skin disease. Don't get too close to him. Uh, you might catch it. Hey, I've seen that guy wandering the streets shouting weird things like, unclean, unclean, stay away. So you know what? Maybe maybe it wasn't too hard for all ten of these men uh, to find each other. You know, we tend to want to be around people that we have things in common with. Things that, you know, maybe a shared set of experiences or a shared history. Well, these men it's, it certainly had one big thing in common and that was Uh, leprosy. And, and this condition, you know what? It had changed their lives in a dramatic way. Now, Jesus appears and he's getting ready to change their lives again in a big way, in a dramatic way, in a great way. And, and you know what? They see Jesus and they call out to him and they say, Master, have mercy on us. Boy, how many times have you and I said something like that to Jesus? Jesus, I need you. Jesus, help me. Uh, Jesus, I need strength or I need wisdom. Hey, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, have mercy on me. Hey, Jesus, heal me. And you know what? Jesus sees them and he hears them and he speaks to them. I find tremendous uh, comfort in, in that. You know what? He could have ignored them. M most others did, or at least they tried to. That people would pass by him in the streets, uh, trying to make eye contact, trying not to notice them. And you know what? In many cases, people would run from them out of fear, but not Jesus. Boy, aren't you thankful that Jesus doesn't run from us? I mean, no matter what the mess we're in, no matter what mess we find ourselves in, and you know what? Oftentimes, the mess that we're in, oftentimes we're in a mess because of our own doing, aren't we? But you know what? Other times, we're in a mess at the hand of someone else. But you know what? We can call on Jesus just like these men. And, and you know what? They were begging God for mercy in their lives. They were begging God for relief from this debilitating disease. They were begging God for healing of the disease. And you know what? They didn't know what Jesus would do. They didn't know how Jesus would respond. And you know what? We don't know how Jesus is going to respond to us when we call on him in our seasons or our times of greatest need. I mean, there are times that we call on him. And you know what? For mercy, for help, for strength, or for healing. And you know what? Sometimes we call and we hear nothing but the silence 
of heaven. And boy, we think because he hasn't answered the way we think, or he hasn't responded as quickly as we'd like, or he hasn't worked in the way we hoped he would, or think that he should, we think that he doesn't care about what we're going through. But I want to promise you this morning that nothing could be further from the truth. He sees us, he hears us, and he does care about us, and he does answer us according to his perfect will for our lives. And in that moment, he responds to these ten lepers by saying, go and show yourselves to the priest. Now, you know what he could have told them? He could have said, okay, you want healing? Here it is. Boom. Be healed. And you know what? In that moment, they would have been healed, but he didn't do that here. You know what he tells them? He says, go and show yourselves to the priest. Now, you have to understand, the priest in that day, boy, they carried some clout. They carried some influence in the community. And the priest, if the priest would look at an individual who, let's say, had leprosy, and the priest would notice that, hey, the leprosy is gone, then the priest could declare that they are now clean and fit to return to society, fit to return home to their families, fit to return uh, to their jobs and be integrated uh, back into the culture. But what's interesting is, Jesus says, go and show yourselves to the priest. Well, guess what? They still had the leprosy. They had to be wondering, well, why does he want us to go show ourselves to the priest? We still have this disease. What in the world is the priest going to do? But they go. They respond to Jesus. They listen to his, his instruction. And they're on their way to see the priest. Now, I like this. On the way. On the way to the priest. Now, I don't know how long they'd been gone. I don't know the distance that they traveled. It could have been a short distance. It could have been miles. I don't know how far it was. But boy, on the way. Can you imagine what happens here? One of the guys says, hey, uh, something's going on. I, 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 I'm not feeling the discomfort anymore from the leprosy that, 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 that I once felt. Another guy says, me either. In fact, uh, I'm not itching anymore. Another guy, another guy says, I'm looking at my skin and it's all cleared up. And these ten lepers realize on the way to Jesus that they have been healed. They've been healed. Now their life is drastically changing again, but this time for the good. They're going to be able to return home. They're going to be able to return to their jobs and their family and their society and all of this. And they no longer are going to be plagued by the stares of strangers. They will no longer be on the receiving end of, of you know what, of pointed fingers and raised eyebrows and condemning uh, looks. They will be embraced now with hugs rather than hate. They're going to feel accepted rather than abandoned. They're going to feel love instead of loss. So how do they respond to all of this? How do they respond? Well, not exactly the way you would think because the Bible tells us that one of them, just one, one of them, one of the ten lepers, he goes back to thank Jesus and to give glory to God. And notice, he didn't just go back to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, uh, come here, I, I, I just want to say uh, thanks. Thanks because, you know, my parents, uh, they taught me good manners and it's the polite thing to do uh, to say thank you when somebody does something for you. So I kind of, I, I just want to say thanks and I want to say, I, I tell you what, hey, glory to God. See ya. No, no, that's not at all. That's not at all what happened. In fact, his response 
is what you might expect it to be given that he has just been healed of an incredibly debilitating, horrifying existence. I mean, where he has been for quite some time living in isolation as an outcast. You know what? He's just been given his life back. And the Bible says that he returned and with a loud voice gave glory to God. He fell face down at his feet. At whose feet? The feet of Jesus. Fell face down at the feet of Jesus thanking him. Let me tell you something, folks. He was not shy. He was not bashful. He was not quiet. He wasn't worried about what other people thought of him. He was absolutely willing, ready, and able to fall at the feet of Jesus. And he realizes that, you know what? He no longer has this debilitating condition that will no longer be be a part of his life any longer. And you know what he's saying? He's saying, I don't care who sees me. I don't care who hears me. I want God to know that I am absolutely, truly thankful. Now, you know what? You would think that all ten of those men would have done that. You would think that all ten of those lepers would have run back at breakneck speed to fall at the feet of Jesus, to worship, to thank, and to adore him for what has just happened. But they didn't. Only one of them did. Now, in case you think, well, that's not a big deal, or it doesn't really matter to God, and notice what Jesus said. Jesus said, hey, were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? Jesus says, hey, didn't I heal ten men? Didn't they all have the same disease, the same uh, infirmity, the same debilitating condition? Didn't they have the same treatment by their families, by their friends, by their employers, by all of society? And I have healed them. Why didn't they come back to say thanks and give glory to God? Only one of them did. And Jesus makes it clear that the one who came, he wasn't a local. He was not from around there. He was a foreigner. The Bible says he was a Samaritan. Now, now, don't miss the significance of that because in the days of Jesus, boy, the Jewish people and the Samaritans, uh, they did not get along. They did not like each other at all. In fact, the Jews considered the Samaritans to be a group of idol-worshipping apostates who had intermarried with the Gentiles. Now, in that day and culture, that wasn't a good thing. And so, uh, and, and so they didn't like them at all. And, and, and the Samaritans didn't like the Jews very much either. These two groups did not get along. These two groups give new meaning to the words racial tension. And while the typical Jewish person at the time of Jesus didn't think a whole lot of the Samaritans, let me tell you something. Jesus did. Jesus did. And here comes the Samaritan leper who has just been healed by the Jewish carpenter. And the Samaritan now knows that Jesus is much more than that. He's much more than a teacher. He's much more than a rabbi. He's much more than a preacher. He's much more than a carpenter. Listen, and as the Samaritan is loudly giving glory to God and at the same time falling on his face at the feet of Jesus thanking him, the Samaritan was saying much more than thanks. The Samaritan was saying, Jesus, you are Lord over all sickness. You are Lord over all disease. You are Lord over all creation. And you are my Lord. Now, now you say, well, preacher, wait a minute. Does the Bible really say that he said all that? Well, notice what Jesus said in response to him. Notice Jesus. He says, get up and go your way. Your faith 
has made you well. When Jesus says, your faith has made you well, he is not referring to the physical healing of leprosy that had just happened. We know this because this man's faith had nothing to do with his physical healing. Jesus physically healed all ten of those lepers of their leprosy as they were on their way to show themselves to the priest. But this one man You know what he did? He returned and he expressed faith. Not so that he'd be physically healed. No, that had already happened. He is expressing faith in the one who has healed him. And Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Jesus is saying to the Samaritan that, you know what? Just as I have healed you of your physical condition, your physical sickness, listen, because of your thankfulness and because you are clearly demonstrating and acknowledging that you understand exactly who I am, I am also healing you of your greatest sickness, which is not about being a leper, but it is about being lost. And folk, I want to tell you, it is at this point in the story that each of us in this room ought to be able to identify with this man. For while you and I may not carry the disease of leprosy in our body, can I tell you something? We each possess a far greater sickness. A sickness that the Bible calls sin. And it may manifest itself in many different ways, but this sickness, can I tell you, it is always terminal. It always leads to death. And this sickness plagues not just a few in our culture or not just a select group of people here or around the world. No, I'm going to tell you, this affliction, this sickness, sin, you know what? It infects and it affects all of us. We are all sinners. We are all, listen, we've all broken God's laws. We have all broken His commands. We've all snubbed our fingers at God's ways. We've all said, I'm going to do what I want, when I want, how I want, and with whom I want. And you know what? We all live in a world that is contaminated with sin. And this contamination, it didn't begin just a few years ago. And it didn't begin with the latest ruling of the Supreme Court. No, to understand our problem, you have to go all the way back to the beginning. Back to the very beginning of all humanity to the Garden of Eden. Now think about that place. There are two people living in the Garden of Eden in the beginning. Adam and Eve. And can I tell you something? They have every reason to be thankful. Can I get an amen? Amen. They have every reason to be thankful. Thankful Eden was a beautiful place to live. To give you an idea of how beautiful, how tranquil, how peaceful, how inviting Eden was, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 3 verse 8 that the Lord God himself would oftentimes take a stroll through the Garden of Eden in the cool of the day. That's saying something, isn't it? I mean that God, listen, would leave the glories of heaven to want to spend some time in a place that he had created for all mankind. I'm telling you, Eden was a beautiful place. I want to tell you, the temperature was always perfect. How many of you got up this morning and thought, man, it turned cold, amen. Man, it's cold. It's cold in my house. It's cold outside. Can I tell you something? It was never cold in Eden. Eden. It was never too cold. It was never too hot. The temperature was always just right. How do I know this? Because in the beginning, Adam and Eve walked around naked all the time. Amen? That's how you know the temperature is perfect. That's right, because you don't walk around naked in the cold or in the hot. 
Only when it's perfect. Now, think about it. Walk around naked all the time. Isn't that a real time saver in your day? Amen. I mean, folks, think about, think about all the time you and I spend just trying to pick out the perfect outfit, trying to decide what we're going to wear. And we spend a lot of time doing that. And we do that, you know what, most of all, uh, listen, we, we make that decision based solely on the temperature outside of our house at any given moment. I mean, if it's hot outside, we wear short sleeves. If it's cold outside, maybe long sleeves and a jacket. I mean, and so that's how we make that decision. And if our decision uh, on what to wear is not based on the temperature outside of our house, it is based on how we feel we look in a certain outfit at any given moment. Now, Arguably, this is more true of women than men. Can I get an amen? Women spend a lot of time, because I live with some women, I know this. Women spend a lot of time trying to figure out exactly what to wear, exactly what looks better and best on them. They spend a lot of time doing that. Now, men don't really do that, but women, they want to find just the right outfit, just the right combination of clothing, just the right ensemble. Where men, on the other hand, we would never call anything we're wearing an ensemble. We just wouldn't do it as a man. Not a self-respecting one. Amen. And the only time a man really cares about what he's wearing, maybe if he's single, trying to dress to impress, right? But once you're married, you're done, men. Amen. You're done. It's over. The work is over. You've accomplished what it is you set out to do, and you don't need to worry about it anymore. In fact, men, here's what we do. Well, we don't worry about it. We just kind of find the article of clothing that is closest to us at any given moment. That's our outfit. Amen. But you know what? Adam and Eve didn't have to worry about that because, believe it or not, naked was always the best outfit. I mean, listen, there was no shame there. There was no insecurity. There was no embarrassment of any kind. They had a perfect relationship with God and with each other. Uh, you, You know what else? Think about the Garden of Eden in the beginning. Boy, they didn't have to spend a lot of time deciding what they were going to eat. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes... That can be one of the more challenging decisions of my day. You ever have this conversation with your spouse? You say, what do you want to do about food today? And she says, I don't know. What do you want to do? Well, it doesn't matter to me. What do you want to do? Well, it doesn't matter to me. What do you want to do? And you know, this can go back and forth for a little while. And then you kind of say, whatever you want is fine. And then, and then, and then you say, well, okay, well, uh, how about let's go get a burger? And then she goes, well, I don't really feel like a burger. <laughs> and then you say, well, okay, well, what do you want to eat? And then she says, well, whatever you want is fine. It doesn't matter to me. And this can go on and on. After about an hour, uh, you're getting more hungry. And in fact, it turns to hangry. But you know what? Adam and Eve, boy, they didn't have that problem. They didn't have that problem because God said in Genesis 1.29, you know what God said in His Word? He said, I have given you. Man, I've given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you. I mean, it's all right there. It's all right there. They don't have to go anywhere uh, for food. Uh, it's all right there in their own personal paradise. They've got their own personal buffet. Man, it's good. They've got a lot to be thankful for. But in comes the snake. In comes the serpent, the tempter, the devil. And can you hear him? He's whispering to Eve. Eve, come here. Hey, I, I know this place is cool and all. And I know the big guy, he, he's provided a lot for you here. But, but you know what? I, I, I think he's holding out on you. 
I, I think he's holding out on you. I don't know why he would have told you not to eat from that tree that's in the middle of the garden. You know what? I think, I th- I, and I know he said you'll die. Come on. What's death? You don't know what that is. I mean, I think he's just exaggerating here. He's just trying to scare you. He doesn't want you to become like him. So go ahead. It's going to be fine, man. Go ahead. Eat that fruit, man. It's great. Eat it. You'll enjoy it. You'll love it. And you know what? They did. And in that moment, can I tell you something? Paradise was lost. Sin and sickness, and shame, and sadness, and separation from God, all of that in that moment. Guess what? It entered the world. Sin, which brings with it every disease, and every infirmity, and every sickness that you and I know anything about, all of that entered the world, and most of all, death. Most of all, death. Now, I wonder, I wonder this morning how different things might have been for Adam and Eve and for all of us. If Adam and Eve would have just been thankful. If they'd have just been thankful for what God had given them. Rather than being ungrateful for what God had told them to stay away from. In fact, I wonder, what if the conversation that Eve had with that serpent. What if that would have gone a little different? What if Eve would have said to the serpent something like this. uh, You want me to do what? You want me to eat from that tree over there? The one that God told me not to? The one God told Adam and I to stay away from? You want me to eat that fruit? Well, why would I do that? That's just crazy. I mean, I don't need that fruit. Look at all the other trees that I've got here with fruit on it. We've got all the, all the fruit we could ever want. We've got all the food we could ever want. There's nothing here that we need. We have everything that we need in life. We've got a perfect relationship with each other. We've got a perfect relationship with God. I don't even have to get dressed in the mornings. Hey, you know what? I don't have to go anywhere looking for food. Everything we need is here. Why in the world would I do that? And you know what? If God told me to stay away from that one tree because in His perfect knowledge of me and our situation, He knows what's best for us. You know what? I think I can trust God with that. Now, boy, wouldn't that have been nice if the conversation would have gone that way? Can I get an amen? But you see, it was a lack of thankfulness. It is the absence of gratitude that plunged Adam and Eve and all of us into sin into separation from God, into shame, into embarrassment. You know what? Into sickness of every kind. It is, it is a lack of thankfulness that did that. And ultimately, it plunged us all into death. Now, are you beginning to see the importance of being thankful? Boy, boy this morning, I want to share with you, as we get ready to close in just a moment, I want to share with you three principles. Number one. Being thankful is a choice. Being thankful is a choice. Now, we know that instinctively, but we push back. We say, well, wait a minute. I I can't control my emotions. I can't control how I feel. I mean, I can't control my responses. To which I say, yes, you can. You can control your emotions, your responses, and the way you feel. I'll give an example. Let's say you're driving your car down the road and a a car in front of you jams on their brakes and you have to jam on your brakes so you don't run into the back of them and, man, you're getting ready to unload on them, man. You're getting ready to lay on that horn. But all of a sudden, you look at the car a little closely and you say, wait a minute, that car looks familiar. 
Oh my goodness, that's Pastor Randy. Well, amen. I love him. I love Pastor Randy. He's the greatest preacher I've ever heard. And, uh, and I just love him. And you know, everybody makes mistakes. And, and, and you kind of, in that moment, boy, you know what you just did? You didn't lay on the horn, did you? You absolutely controlled your emotions and your response. You made a choice to do that. And, and in the same way, can I tell you, being thankful is a choice. Can I give you a second principle? Being thankful is a choice that doesn't ignore reality. Being thankful is a choice that doesn't ignore reality. You see where God tells us to be thankful like in 1 Thessalonians 5.18 where it says give thanks in everything for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Can I remind you, God is not asking us to put blinders on and ignore the realities of our life. God understands that when we are going through uh, difficulty or trials or pain or suffering or sickness or maybe we're grieving the loss of someone that we dearly love. Uh, you know what God knows? God knows that we are not thankful for that. He knows we're not thankful for that. He knows we're not jumping up and down for joy for that. And you know what? He is not telling you and I that we have to pretend to be thankful. What he is saying here is that being thankful in everything means that we are acknowledging that while, you know what, we may not understand, we may not agree, and we may not even like what is going on in our life right now, we know that God is in control and we can thank him for that. And we can thank him that he has not left us, he's not forsaken us, he has a plan for us even in the difficulties of life. Amen? Being thankful is a choice that doesn't ignore reality. A third principle I want to give you is this. Being thankful is a choice that is life-changing. Do you know why being thankful is life-changing? Because if we focus more on what we have to be thankful for, guess what? We focus less on the difficulties in our lives. Boy, when we think about what we really have to be thankful for, the difficulties... The hardships that we may deal with, they seem less and less significant by comparison. The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 8 verse 18, he said, For I consider, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is going to be revealed in us. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to be thankful? Do you want to be a thankful person? I want to challenge you this week. This week, for the next seven days, I want you to write down five things each day. Five things each day that you are thankful for. No matter who we are, no matter what we are going through, no matter what's going on in our life, even at this moment, we can all find things to be thankful for. And the reason to do this is simple. Not only has God commanded us to be thankful, not only has He commanded us to do that, but you know what? He deserves it. Amen? He is worthy of our thankfulness. And you know what? Ultimately, as we are thanking God, and as we are expressing our gratefulness to Him, and our thanks to Him, you know what we're really saying to Him and to the whole world? We're saying, I trust God. I trust God with whatever is going on in my life, whether it seems good or bad or hard to understand. You know what? I'm going to thank God. He's in control. I trust Him with this. I trust Him, and I do thank Him that He has not left me. He has a plan for me. So being thankful is a choice that is life-changing. Amen. Let's pray. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never given your heart and your life to the person of Jesus. Boy, maybe that's exactly what you need to do. You need to ask God to forgive you of your sin. You need to receive Him as your Savior and Lord.
at the close of our service, there are going to be some folks outside in the concourse at a table. They want to talk with you. They want to help you. They want to lead you to saving faith in the Lord Jesus if that's what you need. Maybe you're here this morning and you'd say to me, hey, preacher, I know I'm saved. I thank God for that. But boy, I tell you what, God's convicted me. God's convicted me of just how much I have to be thankful for and how often I live as though I am completely ungrateful for all he has done for me. And I want to say to God, thank you. And I want to say to God every day, thank you. And I want my thankfulness to be just an expression of my love for God. I want my life to be lived in such a way that it demonstrates to others that Jesus is real to me, real in my life, and I am thankful for him. Lord, I pray during our time here today, God, I thank you for your word that has challenged us, that has convicted us. I pray for those who need to be saved. God, I pray they would call on your name. I pray they would invite you into their hearts to be their Savior and Lord. I pray they would come and talk to one of the pastors or one of the folks out at the counseling uh, tables who are going to be there at the conclusion of the service. I pray for many others who would just need to say to you in this moment, God, thank you. Thank you for being so good to us. Help us. Help us to live our lives as a way of saying thanks. God, we ask this all in the sweet, precious name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen, amen.